Hey there, food biz whizzes. I am so excited to dive into today's episode with my guest, Sari Kimball, the founder of Sari Kimball Consulting and the creator of Food Business Success, as we talk about going from your brilliant, delicious product idea to actually selling your product. I heard from my audience that you wanted a few more episodes on the early stage stuff, so here it is how to evaluate if you should start your business, and what that typical path looks like. Stay tuned. So remember, if you enjoy today's episode, come continue the conversation in our Food Biz Wiz Facebook group. Sari is in there alongside me, and we are eager to chat about today's show and what you need to get in line in order to grow your business. Find the Food Biz Wiz Facebook group linked in today's show notes or at foodbizwiz.com. All right, on to the show. You're listening to Food Biz Wiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Ali Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. This episode is brought to you by the Farmer's Market Jumpstart course from Sari Kimball of foodbizsuccess.com. If you have a delicious food or beverage that you are ready to sell at a farmer's market, you have to check out the Farmer's Market Jumpstart course. This course gives you all of the information, all of the tools, all of the resources that you will need to get your product to the farmer's market quickly and profitably. Plus, it gives you access to Sari Kimball, a fellow food industry expert who will guide you as you think through your own unique opportunities and challenges. And there will be challenges. This course will help you anticipate and overcome them without wasting your time or your money. I'd love for you to check out the Farmer's Market Jumpstart course linked in today's show notes and take advantage of my promo code for $50 off your registration, also in today's notes. You are going to love it. Welcome, Sari. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thanks, Sally. I am really excited to be here today. I, I'm psyched for a few reasons, but mostly because you and I are so aligned in what we do. You tend to support brands who are a little bit earlier than my own clients and vice versa. And we've developed this really fantastic relationship of not only supporting our clients, but also supporting one another in our consulting businesses. So I'm grateful for our relationship. You know that. And, um, of course to have you on the show. So Sari, I know, obviously I know all about you and your background, so I'm going to give our listeners a little bit of a recap and then you can fill in the details. So listeners, you guys are about to learn from a woman who has held just about every job in the CPG world, from grocery buying to selling local produce wholesale into stores, to running a commissary kitchen, to starting her own food business, and now helping food brands get off, well, not now, previously helping food brands get off the shelves as the marketing director at Whole Foods Market and now working as a food industry consultant. I mean, you've done it all. So, um, Sari, I want you to tell us more about launching your own consulting business in 2015 and how you help brands today. 
Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for the introduction too. Yeah, I have worn a ton of hats in the food industry world and I'm really grateful for all of them. And basically I kind of put all of those together when I left Whole Foods Market in 2015 into really wanting to help food brands um, not only get on the shelf, which everybody thinks that's the hardest part, but to also get off of the shelf into people's carts. And we're just living in this tremendously abundant time where people can start businesses with very little um, startup costs and they can jump into this space fairly easily. And certainly with the rise of e-commerce and um, stores who are more willing to buy from independent local producers, we're, we're just in this amazing time and space. And, and you know that too, Allie, with all yeah. of your folks that you work with. It's like, we have access to more food and more brands and more interesting things uh, in the food space than ever. So it's so fun to be able to help um, small businesses. Like you said, I really have a passion for um, those early stage startup folks. They're the um, the people who uh, we hear the story over and over again, right? They, they make something amazing um, in their home kitchen. Everybody loves it. <laughs> and all their friends and family tell them that they need to turn this into a business. And a lot of times they're working full time or they're a stay at home mom or they're retired. And they kind of, they get this idea in their mind and they're just like, I think I could do this. What would that mean? What would that look like? Um, but you know, a lot of people in that situation, they're, they're not, they don't know the food industry. And you know, from your buying experience and all of your work and mine, that like the CPG industry is just uh, rife with pitfalls and um, places that you can make a, a ton of very expensive mistakes and its own vocabulary. I mean, it's a whole other world, right? For somebody not in the food industry. So my mission is really to help nav, you know, help food brands navigate those early st startup stages of growing their food business. Yeah. And then I hand them over to you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I think we have this really great synergy going on where they come to me too early. I send them to you, you get them off their feet. You send them back to me. It works out. It works out so perfectly. Right. Um, it does. Tell me this, I'm going off script script here, but tell me why you decided to work with such early stage food entrepreneurs, ones who were really just in that, that idea stage, who frankly don't have much money. Why did you choose that as your audience? I know it's a terrible business plan, really. <laughs> it's a terrible business model. Um, I just... You know, when I worked for, I worked for an organic farm, we had the largest CSA in the country with 5,000 members. Whoa. And yeah, That's and nuts. I just really saw the power of, of local food and how we can transform our food industry. We can transform communities. We can create um, better economies. And when you know the people who are making your food, it's like we, we, re, um, we relearn our our. Uh, community and um, and our connection to food. And so I guess maybe I'm a little bit idealistic. So maybe I'm just drawn to uh, those same kind of folks who are really just have a great passion for their food, but really don't have a clue where to start. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it is a tough model as a consultant. And so that was why I created 
food business success as a as an alternative to the one-on-one consulting model that can be much more costly. Um, I actually consulted for my local small business development center uh, first, and that's where I was really able to meet those just have an idea folks um, right where they were at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was getting paid by the, the, the SBDC, so they were coming to see me at no charge. And I really learned their pain points and what are the resources that they need. And so I tried to put that, my goal is to put that all together into um, an online course program like Food Business Success so that there is an alternative, that it's not just private one-on-one consulting for nothing. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I love this because I love that you and I didn't even know each other. We were at you know, in totally different States, you're in Colorado, I'm in California. And you and I both came to the same exact conclusion with our business models that while we love the one-on-one work, and that is an important part of our businesses, we could impact more people at a lower price point if we created an online model, right? Um, yours is called food business success. You, my listeners know mine is called retail ready. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about food business success at the end, but let's talk, um, let's get into like the juicy topic that we're going to talk about today, which is what do you do when you have this idea? this, I always say this delicious idea, this wonderful product, like you said, Sari, your friends and family all say you should turn it into a business. I mean, I get emails in my inbox every single week about this with the same story. Where do you go? What can, can we start at the very beginning? Like what is that typical path for a new business just getting started? Where do you go once you have an idea? What comes next? Yeah, exactly. This is this is why I do this because usually people start googling how do I start a food business. Yep, <laughs> yep. that's the first step. Um, and while this can be helpful, uh, what I feel like is that it really just leads to overwhelm and confusion, and then oftentimes people give up. Yeah. Uh, so that's not a great recipe for success, um, <laughs> right? So I think that there's this. Um, this uh, disconnect because it's so easy to make food. We all can make food in our kitchen and we can Mm -hmm. share it with other people so easily. Um, But so we think that it should be easy to start a food business. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And so I think people come in with this, this notion that it should be easy. So they Google it and then they get overwhelmed and they give up. And I don't want people to give up. That's my mission is to not have them give up. So, um, Really, uh, a typical path for a food business um, is to start at a farmer's market. Mm -hmm. Uh, I recommend starting there personally. Um, I do have people come to me and say, that's just not my thing. I don't want to do that. And that's okay. You don't have to. But I think that there's so many um, advantages and you get a lot of value from starting at a farmer's market. Um, The first one just being that you can test things out in a much smaller scale. Yeah. Uh, it's a lower investment cost to get in. It's where you're going to start making some cash flow fairly quickly to help you with your investment. And you can play around. You can um, try different flavors. You can get customer feedback. I call it it's like a paid focus group where 
you're actually, if you're open to feedback, you can ask all of these people coming to talk to you questions about your product and get some great feedback. Yeah. Um, so I think that you should start at a farmer's market. Um, if you know, so that's always my recommendation. There's, you know, like I said, you don't have to, but, uh, for the purpose of today, let's say that everybody is starting out of farming market. Fair. And before you and I started recording, when we were talking about our show, we we went back and forth on whether or not we were going to talk about this topic of farmers markets because it's it's such a big one. I feel like you and I could do a whole other episode on how to succeed at farmers markets. I'd love to have you back and do that in the future. But I mean, it's it's such a huge topic and correct me if I'm wrong, but I know you have a whole course on farmers markets as well. So we're going to oversimplify it a little bit here and say, start at a farmer's market with a little asterisk that farmer's markets are also difficult, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, So I do have a free masterclass that um, you can pick up and I'm I'm sure you'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, I will. Dot com forward slash masterclass. But I do talk about what to expect and how long this is going to take you to get your business up and running and how much is it going to cost, right? Yeah. Like what's the range? And the reality is, is that it, everybody wants like one number, right? Like how much yeah. is this going to cost me? But it, it, the answer is that it depends and it depends on your product, right? Okay. Like, we just can't get around the fact I always, I always use the example of like, if you wanted to make knit scarves and sell them at a farmer's market, you could do that tomorrow (laughs) pretty much. Right. Like, um, a a scarf is a scarf is a scarf, but like, um, a granola is very different than a yogurt is very different than a jerky, Mm. very different than a jam. And so we have to start, that, that food business has to start with their product type. And I don't want anybody to change their passion by any means. They're all figure outable, but uh, they are all very different. So. Yeah. And so that's why you recommend starting at a farmer's market in the first place. So that inevitably, as you make changes to your business, you, you haven't invested that $20,000 in branding and packaging and web design just to learn that no one wants your 16 ounce drink and everybody wants it in the 10 ounce size. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Play with it, get feedback. Exactly. I always tell people to start with Avery labels at a farmer's market. Like there's no shame. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially too. And I'll say this and then we can, we can move on. But one of the one of the things that I love so much about farmers markets is that, and you alluded to this, you are standing across the table and engaging with those people who walk by. So even if you have, you know, a less than your, you know, not your dream label, that's okay because you can talk to those people and explain what's so fantastic about your product verbally rather than needing to rely on that super dialed in label to do it all by itself on shelf, right? Exactly. Yes. I mean, your label has to communicate so much when it's on a grocery store shelf, but when you're there in person, then you can communicate for your product and really represent it. Exactly. It doesn't have to be perfect. I always encourage people to like, just get a minimum viable product out there, right? That's what 
we talk about in the startup world. It's an MVP. Just get your life, you know. And so I, I try to break it down into four not too overwhelming steps for people when they just start out. Okay. And then you got to figure out your license type. Okay. Um, that's based on your product. And then you also need to actually start a business. Um, <laughs> Most people skip <laughs> that step. <laughs> right. You need to be legitimate and you need to, um, you know, treat this as a business. Yep. Uh, and there's a lot of things under that, but you need to, uh, perfect your product. And that means going from a home recipe to a formula, something that's scalable, something that's going to come out consistent every time. Uh, you know, the, the cookies are the same size, yes. <laughs> the same size, yes. um, that consistency. And then of course you have to put it all into something, a label with, or a package with a label so that you actually have something to give. You know, when you, when you break it down into those four steps, I'm like, oh, that's easy. I can handle those four steps. (laughs) They are definitely manageable. Yes, there are things underneath there. And that's what I try to do is help guide people through that process. But yeah, yeah, if you can just kind of say, get organized and say, okay, I don't have to like figure it all out yet. I just need to work on these four things to get started. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How long do you think those four steps would take someone? Again, it's going to depend on the product type. So if someone's starting out, you know, California has pretty liberal cottage food laws and so does Colorado. So, you know, I tell people if you're starting out in cottage food, you can be up and running in maybe as little as four weeks. Yeah. um, Pretty quickly. If it's, um, you know, a, a different kind of product type, then you might be talking more like, 10 to 16 weeks, but yeah. still relatively quickly, um, given that, you know, there's just a lot of things that do go into to a food business. It's a heavily regulated industry. Um, right. Rightfully so. Yeah. Food can, food can hurt us if yeah. we don't treat it with the respect that it deserves. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we're walking in the farmer's market. We see all of these food businesses. You, I mean, you're the same as me. You have food businesses knocking on your door week in and week out and they get into business, but then something <laughs> doesn't click. We see so often, too often that food businesses don't stay in business. And this is, this is so heartbreaking. I'm sure, I'm sure you, I'm sure I can speak for the both of us that it's so heartbreaking to see producers who put time, energy, passion, money into their businesses only to have them fold. So I want to talk about some of the key markers that you see that set apart food brands that are successful and ones that who close their doors. Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. And yes, it, I see some amazing products that have come through my farmer's markets the first, you know, in one year and then the next year, I'm like, where did they go? That was so good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I think there's a couple of things. I, I think you got to be willing to wear two different hats when you're going into, you want to be a food business entrepreneur. You, Everybody comes in with a passion for making the product. I think that's pretty much a given usually. Yeah. Um, their salsa, their coconut yogurt, whatever it is, right. They're really passionate about that. Um, but the, the business of being an entrepreneur is like a totally different thing. 
And, and the reality is if you're going to start a food business, you also need to want to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I try to really help people understand what that means and what, what's going to be expected of them, at least at the beginning, right? There's so much hustle that goes into it. And so I think I try to really, I, I would rather not take on a client and have them walk away and say, you know what? I just think I'm going to make that for my friends and family and give yeah. it a business. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right? It's a, it's a whole different ball game to go when you are producing 10,000 bags of granola a month versus two dozen bags of granola a month. <laughs> it's very, exactly. very different. Yeah. Yeah. So you see, yeah. so you see these, you see these people who are passionate about their product, but don't frankly, don't have the drive to be an entrepreneur and to run a business who are the ones who, who, um, stumble. Exactly. So there has to be a willingness to be an entrepreneur. And I'm not saying you have to do it like all alone by yourself. Uh, you should get help and we'll talk more about that. But, uh, but you still have to want to want to be an entrepreneur and not everybody does and that's okay. Um, but, but you are going to be running a business and you know, you got to want to do that. So I think that's the first thing is that if, if people are too passionate about their product and just want to make that and don't want to run a business. So that's totally number one. Yeah. But the flip side of that is that they, they actually lose their passion for their product. Just like you said, like, Oh, now I have to make 2000 bags of granola. <laughs> I'm exhausted. I'm in my kitchen. It's midnight. You know, I'm putting yeah. labels on packages. I'm, I'm, you know, have a farmer's market tomorrow at 6am. Yep. They the passion and that compelling reason. So it's got to be a blend of those two things where you want to be an entrepreneur, but you also don't want to lose like, why did you start this in the first place? Why, why was it important to you to just start this business and to sell this product and, and to get it into people's hands? You know, I mean, we're, we have so many great products that are solving problems around gluten-free and keto and, you know, all of these different tribal diets. And there are so many amazing products and those people got into that, into a business for a reason. And sometimes that passion can die because of the demands of running a business. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about that a lot, even in, in my own business (laughs) and I'm sure you do too, (laughs) reminding myself why I started what I do and and finding ways to reconnect with my mission. Um, I do it quarterly, but if you, I can imagine if your head's down in production, you might want to do it a little bit more frequently than that. Um, but I'm curious, um, Sari, do you have a, a tip that you give for entrepreneurs who are feeling burnt out or feeling feeling like their passion is lost? Is there something you suggest they do to reignite it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I think finding other entrepreneurs mm, uh, yeah. in similar situations, they don't have to be in, in food necessarily, but um, really trying to connect with um, other people who, you know, just like you and I, like, I think we've really bonded over like mm-hmm. sharing the trials and tribulations and the excitement parts of having a consulting business. Mm-hmm. It's so nice not to feel like you're all alone. And I think 
a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we do isolate ourselves, whether you're in a home office or you're in a kitchen at midnight uh, making your granola. You just kind of feel like it's just you against the world. (laughs) Totally. I think that's, that's such a great response. And I even see it. I see it in retail ready. I'm sure you see it in food business success. This idea, you know, people are like, Allie, like retail ready content is great. But one of the things that I didn't expect to be so valuable is that community of food entrepreneurs that are at the table together, those group coaching calls that, that, um, support from entrepreneurs who are, who are maybe years ahead of you and can help encourage you and guide you and problem solve and all of that, that, that is, oh, that's such a great way to refuel excitement and passion. Yeah. Absolutely. Take advantage of all of these amazing Facebook groups. I mean, you have yours. Um, I have one. We have, you know, other colleagues that have, have Facebook groups. I know it can feel a little cheesy to people sometimes, but you just, you got to get out of your own little world. And I I do think contributing to other people, like answering their questions, you know, you start to refuel your passion. I was like, oh yeah, that's why I got into this. Look how far I've come, you know? (laughs) Totally, totally. I mean, imagine being in a Facebook group where, you know, two years ago you had no idea what a UPC code was and why it's important. And then sure enough, you're guiding people to GS1 years later without even batting an eye. Uh, That would feel really great. Yeah. yeah. Contributing is just as important as, as taking, right. And getting, getting the mentorship you need. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you talked about um, those, those, we were talking about those key markers that you see that set food brands that are set apart the successful brands and the one who closed their doors. And really this idea that realizing that you have to be more than a passionate producer, that you have to be an entrepreneur and then realizing when your passion wanes, that there are options to getting your skin in the game again and fine and refueling that excitement, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And I'd say the last one is is really about being willing to pivot and and making changes. And I think sometimes people come in so they hold so tight their their idea and their their logo and their uh, even their the name of the product and how it has to be. And, you know, being open as an entrepreneur to saying like, maybe I don't know it all. Like, I think this is a good idea, but I'm going to be really open. And that's where farmers markets, I think can be really powerful if you are willing to be open to feedback. I mean, I've seen people change their brand names, change their, their formula, change their packaging, um, and it's all about refining and you're never going to come into this business uh, with a perfect idea right out of the gate, right? It's all about like trying and failing and learning and trying something new. Totally. So, um, you got to be willing to pivot. And I do think that is why we see people from year to year that were there one year at a farmer's market and then they're not there is that um, they just weren't open to, to feedback and to change. Being open to feedback is really hard. I, I see it all the time. And I think you hit the nail on the head there that these producers are so passionate about their product. Maybe it was their grandmother's recipe, or there's a picture of, this is cheesy, but like a picture of their dog on the label or 
you know, the brand name references their hometown or like whatever it is and taken out of context, it doesn't resonate with their audience. And yet they're so connected to it. They can't, they're not open to that feedback. Um, That's definitely a challenge as people start their businesses and one that an entrepreneur realizes is really important, but maybe that passionate producer doesn't. Exactly. Yep. Great. Oh, I love this. Gosh, I love this conversation. So before we go any further, I'm going to have us catch our breaths. I'm going to talk about a sponsor that we have for this episode. And then we'll be back talking about a few more mistakes that you see in the food and beverage industry. Here we go. If you are interested in launching into farmer's markets, you are going to love Sari Kimball's course, the Farmer's Market Jumpstart course. This class is perfect for my listeners who are just a tad bit too early for retail ready. So here's a little bit about what's covered in the course. You're going to validate that you have a great idea that people really want and will actually give you money for. You're going to put all the proper licenses, the business formation, and the regulations in place so you are 100% legit. You will learn how to completely launch your product, successfully launch your product, and show up at market ready for sales. You're going to price your product for profit so you actually make money in your food business. And you're going to get a community of peers and experienced, qualified leadership to support you as you start your food business into farmer's markets. So this course is going to save you time and money as you make your farmer's market dreams come true. If you want the experience to be difficult and to be a struggle, don't take this course. If you want it to be easy, sign up now. You will find the link and my promo code for $50 off your enrollment in today's show notes. You are going to love it. Okay. So we've talked about the path that food entrepreneurs can expect thinking about starting in those farmer's markets. We've talked about what sets the successful versus the unsuccessful brands apart. So now I want to break it down to a few key mistakes that you see food entrepreneurs make. So is there anything that's top of mind that these listeners should be aware of and should absolutely avoid as they're moving forward with their food business? Of course. (laughs) Yes, sir. I actually have a whole top 10 list, so but I've chosen three, especially around, I think, farmers markets. All right. Um, (laughs) So... The first one I think is pricing is really, really crucial. And I, like I mentioned, I think a lot of um, early stage food business entrepreneurs, they're not coming from a food industry background and they don't, they don't understand. Um, I mean, they might understand margin in its most simplistic form, but uh, you know, thinking about their future goals and are they going to go into retail? Are they going to be in distribution? what is distribution, right? All of these questions that you have at the beginning, things that you don't even know to ask yourself because you don't know. Uh, So I do see a big mistake with pricing. Uh, I actually worked with a brand who uh, priced their product very fairly at a farmer's market. Uh, I know where you're going with this. (laughs) (laughs) And then they went, then they said, okay, now we're ready to go into small wholesale 
And we ran the numbers um, with a tool that I use and they were going to make like eight cents on a bag, right? (laughs) And that was before distribution. Like Uh, we weren't even distributed yet. Uh, And so they were like, what are you you talking about? So it, you know, you're never going to be able to compete on price alone as as a small brand. Um, Your efficiencies are just never going to be there. But I do think it is really important to consider your your short-term and kind of medium-term goals, like a one-year and a three-year goal, and and kind of think a little bit further ahead than just, you know, this one mar- season of farmer's markets, because that pricing alignment, I'm sure you have seen a lot of heartbreak there too. Oh, I, they don't price their products Gosh, correctly. I mean, every month in Retail Ready, someone has this challenge. And I want to... Um, Terry, let's let's go a little bit deeper here just for the listeners who didn't quite understand what we were talking about. So what you're saying is a producer, let's just say a, a granola maker. That's an easy example. A granola maker sells their granola for $10 at the farmer's market, and they haven't taken into account any sort of wholesale or distributor margin. So then they go to the grocery store and they are expecting expecting either to sell that granola to the grocery store for $10 because that's what they sell it to the customer (laughs) or they expect to sell it to the grocery store for like $9. Like, oh, we'll give the grocery store a little bit of margin. Not realizing that no, that grocery store wants to, at the end of the day, sell that granola on their shelves for the same price that you're selling it at the farmer's market. So if we think about like pretty typical granola margin, they want to they want to get 40% margin in grocery for that. So they want to buy your granola at $6 so they can put their 40% margin on it and sell it at $10 on the shelf, right? And then lo and behold, I'm sure your granola producer is saying like, what? $6? Like I can sell it for $10 at the farmer's market. Why the heck would I sell it to the store for $6 a bag? Right? Yes. All of that is true. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then again, thinking about the distributor margin and what, what they would sell it to the distributor at, which would be even lower than the $6 if they're using someone else to get it on the shelf. So, and so here's what the mistake that happens. They have to sell it to the distributor for $4. Yep. So we run through their cost of goods sold correctly. So this yep. is part of the problem is that they don't do their cost of goods sold correctly, yep. which has four parts to it. And usually everybody gets the ingredients yep. and the packaging. Yep. But what they don't ever factor in is their labor. Yep. Uh, yes. And so they say, well, I'm getting paid on the back, you know, at the farmer's market in, in profit. And it's like, you, if you don't factor in your labor, then you haven't done your cost of goods sold correctly. Because eventually, someday, you hopefully are not going to be making this product yourself at midnight. <laughs> right. In a yeah. So yeah. that's where the trouble comes in. Right. And so it would have been recalculating you know, the cost of goods and realizing maybe they should sell it at the farmer's market for $12 a bag instead of that $10 a bag. And then even when they are selling it to that wholesale buyer for 
650 or $7 or whatever it is, that feels okay because they're still making the profit margin that they need to off each sale. Um, obviously, direct to consumer at the farmer's market is almost always going to be a higher profit margin than any other channel, but that's fine. Make higher margin of the farmer's market and make your average margin on wholesale, right? Exactly. I mean, it's a it's a quality over a quantity relationship, right? Yeah. So oh, I always say a farmer's market is the quality relationship. You're having a one-on-one transaction. You're, you're there selling your product. Uh, a, a wholesale account is all about quantity and yeah. and they have to match up you can't i mean this client that we had this issue with they said well can't we just raise the prices for wholesale and they could sell it for different than at the market and it's no. like no you can't you can't do that i mean it's always a grocery store's prerogative to raise or lower their price but right. you have to be selling it for the same price. yeah so i will tell you as i can geek out on this forever <laughs> yeah exactly i know we're we're going down a separate track here but like yeah i will tell you as a grocery buyer if you are trying to tell me you're selling your granola for ten dollars at the farmer's market and you want me to sell it for seventeen dollars on my shelf it's not going to happen it's simply not going to happen um okay so pricing is one of the big mistakes what what else do you see so I do see pacing as a as a problem, uh, as the big mistake, especially farmers markets. And as people want to shift into going into small wholesale, there's a tendency to either go too fast or mm. to go too slow. Yeah. And and so that's what I mean by pacing. And and so that might be like at the very beginning, an example of going too fast would be hiring a um a packaging and branding company and paying them thousands and thousands of dollars and then realizing that you and you buy 5,000 labels and you realize then you're going to shift to a different size or a completely different package and now you're those 5,000 labels are worthless. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's okay to go a little slower in the beginning because you're testing and trying things out. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't, you know, I always like, if you have to buy a thousand of anything at the beginning, like it's a no, like, <laughs> no, let's not do that. Um, but then you also get into trouble on the, as you're trying to scale up, I think people sometimes are hesitant to actually invest in their business. And yeah. that's kind of where that being a business, like you are running a business and businesses cost money and you're going to have to invest in your business. And so I think that uh, where I see it is when people say, I'm only going to bootstrap, I'm only going to, um, whatever profit I make is what I'm going to put back into the business and I'm not yeah. going to bring any additional to the table. And I think you missed out on opportunities and being ready and poised to, to seize those opportunities if you're only willing to reinvest and not to, to make additional investments. Because sometimes you got to pay, you got to pay the 5,000, you know, get the 5,000 labels when it makes sense. Oh, yes. You are speaking my language. I did an episode. It was episode 12 back in season one, where I talked about three big shifts that I made in my business um, that really propelled me forward. And the biggest thing was investing in my business. I mean, you know this about me. I spent more money than I was ever comfortable spending on a year long business coach. And it allowed me to double my revenue in a single year because I took that step forward and invested. I feel like you probably see this in your in students in your coaching program. I see it with retail ready students all the time. The ones who, the ones who invest 
make that money back so quickly and are so happy that they do, right? Yes, absolutely. I've heard a great uh, a great saying that the transformation is in the transaction. And mm-hmm. I've gone through that in my own business, just like you did, where it's like, okay, I've invested in business coaches. I've invested in experts. And I think that's what you know. ultimately we're saying to other people is like, you have to invest in yourself and in your business. And that sometimes means putting down some money that you, it does put you out of your comfort zone. And yeah. it is a oh, yes. no question. <laughs> but I will tell you, you will be so much more motivated to succeed when you have some money on the line and you know, yes. you, you're going to be really committed to that. Yes. I, I always say like, people ask me, they're like, can't you just give this to me for free? And I'm like, well, <laughs> people who pay, pay attention. Have you heard that phrase? I love it so much. I have not heard that one. That's a great one too. Yeah. People who pay, pay attention. And it's totally true. I think about it in my own business. Like how many free trainings have I gone to? And I, I don't know, I don't show up or I don't implement what I learn or I just don't, I just don't take it at the value that even if the value is there, I don't take it at, um, I take it at its face value. I'll say that. Okay. So yeah. Pacing. I love that one. Um, thinking about not moving too quickly, not like jumping to the finish line or jumping miles ahead, but also not going too slowly. Um, what's your last one? I like, I I know what your last one is and it's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it is that, that feeling of uh, you just can't do this alone. And, and we talked, we touched on a little bit about how do you get your, you know, your passion back, but it is, not going alone is, is a couple of different things. It's finding community of other food business entrepreneurs, of, um, people just in entrepreneurship in general. Uh, it's also finding a community of experts and people who you can turn to, to ask those questions about pricing and pacing. Um, I mean, the, the longest, the the most expensive way to learn something is to do it all on your own. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. That, you know, time and money are our precious resources. Oh gosh. Yeah. So finding community, finding groups like, uh, you know, I know in in Colorado, we have naturally Boulder area, you have naturally Bay area, but there are other food industry groups in many, many places. Like go out, get outside of your business, um, get outside of your head (laughs) Yeah. Go meet other people who are having some of those similar struggles as you go, you know, and if you don't have a local group in your area, get on Facebook groups and start yeah. participating. I think you're going to get so much out of contributing and also, you know, learning as well. Um, so it's really about, yeah, you're kind of building your bench. And it also could be that, like, I tell people to delegate up as quickly as possible. So at the beginning, you have to wear all the hats. and you may totally suck at social media. Like that is just not your thing. (laughs) And so you do it, you get by for a little while. And then as soon as you possibly can, then find somebody to help you with that. Um, You know, and you, again, you might have to pay a little bit, but think about all of the, the bandwidth that's going to be opened up when you're not stuck doing something you're not good at, and you're just trying to get by and it's taking a lot of mental energy same with bookkeeping. That would be another one. Yep. Sales. Yep. Sales. People are huge the one. best sales rep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
you know, you may not be your best person to represent your product. You should maybe should just be in the kitchen making yep. it or vice versa. Maybe yep. you need to outsource production because you are an amazing salesperson. So as soon as possible, start building your bench, um, build a team. It doesn't have to be paid employees. You could be paying contractors. You could be bribing friends and family with product. I don't know. You, yeah, know, you could. Products. I mean, you could do trade. I mean, you could even hire a, an assistant for three hours a week. And that could take, you know, all of your social media time off your plate, whatever it is. Right. You could yeah. take a nap during those three hours, take a nap and go to the gym. And then all of a sudden you have all this energy to do something else, right? It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be freeing you up so that you can work more. It could be freeing you up. So you have part of some, some part of your life back. Absolutely. I think that, yeah, it's not always about working on your business, but self-care, fueling yourself, fueling your passion, spending time with friends and family. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I love that. The, the three mistakes that you see food biz entrepreneurs and brands make over and over again, the pricing, the pace of growth, and trying to do it all alone. Oh, those are good ones. I, I mean, gosh, like, I think we've all made those mistakes. It'd be hard not to. Absolutely. Anybody doing entrepreneurship, it's the hardest thing I've ever done my entire yeah. life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, okay. You are giving us such great content here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Before I let you go, I want to talk about food business success for a moment. And can you tell us like a tiny bit more about that, that program? Yeah, absolutely. So as I said before, I created it really with that early stage entrepreneur. I just have an idea or I Googled some things and I contacted my health department and now I have no idea what the yeah. next step is. Um, it's really meant for those kind of businesses that uh, are wanting to figure it out themselves, uh, but realize that, like I said, the most expensive way to learn is to do it all on your own. So yeah. I'm trying to provide um, a mix of, yes, it is an online course, there's videos, there's tools, but I realized um, very quickly that, you know, the food industry is, is not just a cookie cutter, one size fits all. It really depends on your goals and your, your product type. Like mm -hmm. I said, a jerky is very different than a, I'm going to give somebody who wants to make a meat product very different advice than somebody who's making a granola, right? Yeah. So um, I really try to mix the program with um, some one-on-one -on -one consulting with some group uh, live calls because yeah. there's no way to give somebody um, a, a one-size-fits-all online course and yeah. say good luck. That's not what I want to do. So it's <laughs> absolutely combine those two things. Yeah. So it's really meant for people who do want to do it themselves but want some guidance and want to be able to ask some very specific questions to to an industry expert. Yeah, I I love it, and I've heard I've just heard such rave reviews about it. Um, I'm happy to I'm happy to have you promote it here on the podcast because, um, like we said, the more people who can come and get started with food business success with you, are then that means more people are eligible to come and join Retail Ready with me after they're already in production. Okay, so I will make sure to link that in today's show notes. Where else can people, where can people find you? What else can I link in the show notes? 
Yeah. So I am on Facebook and Instagram um, at Food Biz Success. Uh, so you can find me there uh, posting about uh, things I see in the world around food businesses. Um, but I also have a YouTube channel uh, that I'm really proud of. And I've produced yeah. a ton of, ton of content all about starting uh, a food business on a lot of different subjects. So um, that's also at uh, Food Business Success over on YouTube. So awesome. 100% free content. I, I love the content that you put out over there. So I'll make sure to link that in the show notes. And then uh, we briefly talked about your free masterclass on turning your passion into profit at farmer's market. And I will make sure to link that in the, the show notes as well. That would be the first step for people who are interested in exploring the possibility of farmer's markets as they, as they start their business. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, I can't thank you enough for the time that you spent with my listeners today. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation and thank you. Thank you for coming on the show today. It has been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it as well. Thanks. All right, my whizzes. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Sari. If you're someone out there with just an idea looking to get to market, make sure you find Sari by clicking through to the show notes. I've got all of her contact information there. And as you can tell from today's episode, she is just such a wealth of knowledge for you guys. In the meantime, if you are enjoying these episodes, please leave me a written review on your podcasting platform. This is the single best thing that you can do to support these episodes, and it takes less than 60 seconds. If you don't know how to leave a review, click through to the show notes, and the instructions on the bottom of the page will walk you through it. Thank you for supporting me with a podcast review. Thanks again for tuning into this episode with Sari, and I can't wait to hear what you thought about it. I'll see you in the Food Biz Whiz pot Facebook group and continue our conversation over there. I'll be back in your ears next week. In the meantime, stay busy. Thank you for listening to Food Biz Whiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.